Fame and Fortune Weekly, Number 5, New York, November 3, 1905. Published by Frank Towsey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hard to Beat or The Cleverest Boy in Wall Street. Recording by Keith Salas. Chapter 1. A Pointer on Red Dog. Why, Bob Brooks, where did you get all that money? asked Kitty Barnes, a pretty stenographer employed by Scrooge and Sharpley, stockbrokers of number 34 Wall Street, as the bright-eyed stalwart young messenger of the establishment shook a check for $1,500 made out to his order before her astonished eyes. He had just taken it from an envelope bearing the imprint of Treadwell and Company, bankers and brokers, which had reached him by the morning mail. "'You girls want to know everything,' grinned the boy. It was a bump of curiosity to get Mother Eve into trouble, but it seems to me the lesson was wasted. The idea! Ain't you just awful? replied the girl with a half-roguish, half-reproachful glance. Maybe I am, but I haven't forgotten you this morning, all right. And he handed her a small bunch of violets, her favorite flower, as the boy knew well, which he had until that moment been holding behind his back. Oh, thanks! Aren't you kind? and she flashed him a grateful look. Kitty Barnes immediately looked interested, for if there's one thing a girl likes more than anything else, it is to share in another person's confidence. Two-thirds of this check represent my profit on 100 shares of P&D stock that I've been speculating with during the last two weeks on a 10% margin. Is it really and truly a fact? She exclaimed, opening her brown eyes very wide. That's what it is. But you mustn't breathe a word to a soul in the office about it, Kitty. Old Scrooge would have a fit if he knew I was monkeying with the market. Oh, I wouldn't say a word for the world, assured the stenographer. Aren't you a lucky boy? It's better to be born lucky than rich, especially down here in the street. I've been studying stock exchange methods and following the fluctuations of the market ever since I came to work here. The more I look at it, the more it seems to be a game of chance after all. I know of several experienced operators who had speculated for the larger part of their lives in Wall Street and were wiped out in a single hour on the exchange. I've heard of such cases, too, said the girl. That's why I have no confidence in stock speculation. What made you go into it in the first place? I like the excitement of the thing. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, you know. I put up my first ten dollars as margin on a bucket shop. Why, Bob Brooks, were you so foolish as that? That's what I was. And you lost it, of course. I did not. I drew out three hundred dollars ahead of the game. You must have broke up the shop, she answered archly. Oh, what I won, somebody else lost, I guess. Those places are regular pitfalls for office boys and cheap clerks to waste their money in, so I've been told. They ought to be closed up. There are other places that ought to be closed up, too, but they manage to flourish somehow or other. For instance, asked the stenographer inquiringly, well, pool rooms, for one thing. I know a number of fellows who sink half their wages regularly in gambling on horses. Do you know I would like to go to some track and see a real race? said Kitty with sparkling eyes. Would you? And have your escort put up a fiver for you and some old plug that didn't have a ghost of a show to win just because it happened to catch your fancy? Oh, I know you girls grinned Bob. You're too mean for anything, she pouted. 
Well, here comes Mr. Sharpley. It's time you and I attended the business of the firm. And the boy glided over to his chair in the waiting room and sat down to occupy his leisures with a copy of the Wall Street News. Presently, Mr. Sharpley's bell caused Bob to jump to his feet and make a beeline for the junior partner's private office. Take this letter to the Continental Trust Company. You will get a package to bring back. If I'm not here when you return, give it to Mr. Scrooge if he is here, or put it in the safe until he comes in. Yes, sir, replied Bob in a businesslike tone of voice that Mr. Sharpley admired in him, and getting his hat started off on his errand like a winged mercury. Looks like a pretty smart boy, remarked a customer who was talking to the broker at the moment. In our opinion, he is the brightest boy and one of the shrewdest in Wall Street, if you want to know, replied Mr. Sharpley in a tone of conviction, and he is as trustworthy as the day is long. I wouldn't mind letting that boy have $10,000 of our good money any time, or 20000 for that matter, to take to the bank anywhere else. I believe he's above temptation. He must be a jewel. He's all right. In the meanwhile, Bob Brooks was making for Broadway at a rapid, swinging gait characteristic of him. As he was crossing at the junction of Nassau Street, another boy about his own age ran smack into him with a laugh, and both nearly fell into the gutter. "'What the dickens?' began Bob in a somewhat belligerent tone. "'Oh, it's you, Phil Sharp,' he added when he recognized the other. "'Yep, it's me, all right,' grinned the boy who had been guilty of the intentional assault. Well, what do you mean by running into me in that way? Just took a notion to let you know I was alive. You're a funny boy, said Bob, suddenly tipping the other up, but letting him down easy on the curb. How do you like that kind of horseplay yourself? I see you're pretty much alive yourself, replied his friend as he scrambled to his feet. I guess we're quits. Well, what do you know? Oh, I know several things. Do you? Well, I can't stop to pump you. Are you coming my way? Depends. Where are you bound? Continental Trust Company. I'll go with you part of the way. All right. Step out lively. I haven't seen you for several days. Where have you been keeping yourself? On the wing, as usual. Duncan and Company, my bosses, have work enough for two messengers about my size. I don't get a breathing spell from nine to three. You don't seem to be getting thin over it. <laughs> That's right. I'm getting fatter, if anything. Flesh runs up in our family. Dad weighs 240. He's the heftiest motorman on the L. Mom tips the beam at 175. As for Sis, she belongs to the middleweights. Oh, we're a healthy family. You can bet your suspenders. You look it. How's your sister, Sue? Fine. She's got a new job. What was the matter with the one she had? She was making all the money that came into the office, so the boss wanted to marry her and cut down on expenses, but she wouldn't have it. That's pretty good. Did old Giglamps really get sweet on her? That's what he did. Old enough to be her grandfather. She said she wasn't dealing with antiques, so she answered an advertisement in the world. And now she's pounding a Remington for Bloodgood and Morrissey on Fulton Street. They're money brokers. Percy Walcott of our office has dealings with them. He's a regular customer. Gets a loan of $17 and pays back 20 at $2 per. Some people call them Shylocks. They're out for the dust like everybody else, so what's the diff? Sis gets $2 a week more than Gigalamps gave her, so she's satisfied. She ought to be. I should snicker. I think it's about time I got a raise. 
I use up an awful lot of good shoe leather. Say, how about that P&D stock you bought a couple of weeks ago? I see it's gone up. Sold out yesterday and made a clean 200% profit. Get out, exclaimed Bill incredulously. I tell you it did. Suffering beeswax, you have hog luck. How much are you worth now? Fifteen hundred? I'll show you the check. And Bob produced it, whereat Phil's eyes bulged. What are you going to do with it? Start a bank? Put it to work. And lose it. I hope not. I haven't lost any yet, and I started in with ten dollars a few months ago. Well, I wish you luck. Are you going to treat to a show on the strength of that check? Sure thing. We'll go tonight, if you like. That suits me. Come over to the house after supper, and you'll find me waiting for you. There's a continental across the street. I'm going down here. So the boys parted for the time being. Just as he was stepping on the opposite curb, Bob noticed an envelope with a peculiar device printed on it, and he picked it up to examine it. It was addressed to a William Smith something, but the rest of the name, as well as the address, had been torn away. Bob put it into his pocket and then went to the Continental Trust Company and delivered his message. He was told to go to the reception room and wait. To pass away the time, he took out the envelope and studied the odd device. Quite an idea, he mused. There was an enclosure and he pulled it out. The letterhead had the same device and underneath it was printed Goldfield Banking and Brokerage Company, Majestic Building, Denver, Colorado. Bob was about to tear off the device and throw the letter away when, having nothing better to do, he thought he would read it. He did, and was much surprised at the character of the contents, which ran as follows. Denver, Colorado, September 2nd, 1905. William Smithers, New York. Dear Sir, we have just learned from one of our representatives who is on the ground that the Red Dog Mine, which was abandoned two years ago, or at least so reported, is being quietly developed into one of the big bonanzas of Goldfield. While the management say very little about the property, the report of our correspondent that rich ore is being opened up in their shaft and the fact that the stock is being held very closely indicate that those who are on the inside know that they have a good thing and are simply waiting for the railroad to be completed to Goldfield and put in operation when, our agent informs us, the mine will begin heavy shipments and the stock will go soaring skyward. A considerable amount of this stock was sold in New York at prices ranging from 3 to 12 cents a share. We sold a block of 20,000 shares at 10 cents to Mr. John Dickens of 224 West 129th Street four years ago. Hunt him up and get it back at the best figure you can, which should be low as the mine has been considered a dead one for the last two years, and the information to the contrary is not likely to have reached the east. Buy every share of Red Dog you can locate. You should be able to find considerable, unless the managers of the mine have already been on a still hunt after it, which, of course, is possible. Very truly yours, John Stefton, Goldfield B&B &B Company. End of chapter 1